This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. What's that line on Wall Street that past performance does not guarantee future results? Well, the present intro certainly does not foreshadow the remainder of this Cardinals Underground podcast. Brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Paul Calvisi, Darren Urban, Kyle Odegaard. When I ask, what is your middle initial? <laughs> Such a lame opening right here. I'm curious because, and I do have a point on this. Uh, you know, D. Herb, uh, Wolfley was in the building recently. Doesn't isn't he fond of calling you Derb? Yes, okay. he, he is. Unfortunately, my middle initial is D uh, for David, Paul David. If you're around a Calvisi family reunion, you know my aunts because they always call me by the biblical Paul David. <laughs> That's what I go by. And and I, I was thinking, you know, Kyle, whether you like it or not, on this podcast at least, your middle initial is D for disagree. Kyle disagree Odegaard. That's just sort of the way it goes. Not to you know typecast you or profile in any way as to where this might be going but i just thought i'd take a guess that perhaps your middle initial also might be d see for some reason and i don't know kyle's middle name uh, for some reason i always no. thought sebastian wait, wait, wait. sebastian kyle sebastian it's actually disagree surprise <laughs> oh there you go that's it you got it paul how long have you guys been working next to each other on the upper floor here at the dignity health arizona I, cardinals well, training you know center? people's middle names paul he should be wearing an aaron Rodgers t-shirt right now that reads i'm offended <laughs> He should genuinely, that sincerely was a t-shirt by be offended right now that you don't know his... Didn't you hire the man? Didn't you see like his him. birth certificate or something? <laughs> Wasn't there actual official paperwork? Yeah, that's right. We, did a, we did a deep dive. All those <laughs> I mean, arrest warrants I mean, we passed on. He yeah. knows your visa number and your social security number, but he, he doesn't have your your, your, your middle name. <laughs> yeah, it's or the, initial, even. It's well, all that's, the mug shots. That's yeah. why Sebastian's just sound good to me. <laughs> that's right. When you did the background check on Kyle Odegaard, <laughs> you didn't get a middle name. You didn't need the middle name to, to clarify exactly he, he went right past that when he saw the rap sheet I think. <laughs> it's marcus by the way marcus yeah. nice okay is that with a c or a k with a k okay marcus mm-hmm. okay All right. oh very uh uh nordic german what german really that was okay. close all right well, with a name like Wolf, uh, you have that in common with uh wolfly as well the the german in him okay so you know his you middle name uh it's paul i believe ronnie paul that's oh, his, his mother hoopy is, is, is hoopy. Hoopy. We were just talking about this because Wolf takes the same vacation every <laughs> single year to rush for New York. I've been there. I've been to the house. It's population of the town, 1,100 maybe. And half and are Wolfleys. It's a farmhouse, uh, and, they, and, and there's Hoopy. And you think Wolf has energy? You've never met his mom. And at 85 years of age, she will bring the energy and the world's best cinnamon bun. I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> There's Hoopy. There you go. So, uh, oh, man, would I love to be on the porch, Hoopy's porch with that. Because they have about 400 acres of farmland and rolling hills out there. It's unbelievable. So, uh, Where are we going with this? You know what? That's it. We're done. I'm just throwing it. Look, once again, I'm just going to clarify right off the top. The fact I started in that manner does not in any way denote we have nothing to talk about here in mid-June. We have a lot to talk about. In fact, it's just the opposite. We have plenty to talk about. And somebody... Our best podcasts usually start like this. Somebody... Somebody's been talking about out their side of the mouth uh, on NFL Network about the Cardinals' week one challenge at Tennessee. Have you seen this? Nate Burleson about the Tennessee offense, and I quote, as a defense, what are you going to do? So all of a sudden, the Titans, after they trade for Julio Jones, I mean, go ahead and crown them at this point. They've been declared a juggernaut and unstoppable Nate Burleson and company over on Good Morning Football and NFL Network. Honestly, guys, maybe the Cardinals should just start the season week two and not even show up to Nashville at this rate. It's funny because Nate Burleson's also the guy who picked uh, out of the entire NFL, A.J. Green is the guy to blow you away surprisingly this season for the Cardinals. Come on now. Uh, Yeah, I picked. that was his pick. 
it was like two two months ago here on Cardinals Underground. Did we not identify AJ Green as our pick for NFL Comeback Player of the Year? Although I stole that from Frosty Rucker. When Frosty Rucker was in the Big Red Rage, he said if the man gets targets and they're catchable passes, unlike what happened in Cincinnati, Frosty Rucker's pick for NFL Comeback Player of the Year is number 18. So is Nate Brolson then, what what is he going, 45-42 for a first game? Is that what we're doing here? I don't, you know, honestly, that's, uh, you might want to take the over. And we can talk about that because by the time the NFL does open the season on September 9th, September 12th, there will be LSB, legalized sports betting, (laughs) will be in place by then. So you know what? If you want to go the over, that's perfectly acceptable as well. Uh, Don't you have to wait to see what the total is before you just slam the over? (laughs) (laughs) Kyle, come on now. You know, you might, you can buy low, sell high. What is it right now? (laughs) Because this hype train is going to continue until week one in September. So you might want to go ahead and place that wager now where it's legal. You might want to go ahead and do that at this point because, uh, honestly, yeah, I think this is tracking to be a barn burner. This isn't like baseball where the pitchers are ahead of the hitters and it's going to be a low-scoring affair early in the season. These two offenses easily could come out high-flying and high-scoring. We've talked about that with the Cardinals in the past. I mean, especially going back to Cliff Kingsbury's first season. and he They do play fast and... You know, they've had certainly some games where they've had some offensive fireworks, but it hasn't consistently been like 35 points a game. You know, the Cardinals were middle of the pack in scoring last year, so the the, the capability is there, and I think the Tennessee defense is going to struggle uh, next season. But we'll see. The, the style of play for the Titans, when you give Derrick Henry the ball that many times, the clock runs, and it's just going to shorten the game. So I think – both offenses could be efficient, but when you talk about total points, I'm not sure it's going to be a shootout. I just know that I haven't had all my vacation yet, and we're already talking about the season opener. <laughs> and we just got done with minicamp, for goodness sake. Here's the quote, and then I'll move on, I promise. Here's the quote. At the end of the seven-minute video that they tweeted out, Nate Burleson, and he broke it all down, and it was a great job, and I think he just won an Emmy as one of the best analysts. He's so really good. He is very, very good, and he's, he's network, so okay, there you go. Here was the concluding statement. Julio Jones, if everything goes right, this will be one of the greatest offenses we've ever seen take the field. End quote. On the Tennessee Titans, 2021. See, here's the thing. The first thing I think of is what Kyle just said, which is if you're going to use Derrick Henry like you use Derrick Henry, you're going to grind clock, and that's going to take away chances for you to build up a bunch of stats. I mean, one of the reasons the greatest show on turf was the greatest show on turf is – they were throwing the ball all over the place, including to their running back. And, yeah, they ran it with Marshall Falk sometimes. But a lot of times they're throwing the ball. They're throwing it deep. I mean, if you're grinding it out with Derrick Henry, you're just not going to have chances. I, it, there was one projection. And, again, it's just a projection. And I don't know what uh, A.J. Brown's going to be like as the other receiver. And I know he's got a chance to be really, really good and have big stats. But Julio Jones, for all the talk, I, I saw one fantasy projection – and this isn't a bad season, don't get me wrong, but it was like 72 catches, 1,090 yards, and five touchdowns. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's not bad, but that's not like greatest show on turf numbers. And it's, I mean, Ryan Tannehill's had two really nice seasons in a row, but I still don't think he's in the tier of Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. So, I mean, the quarterback plays the biggest part of how explosive your offense is. And if Julio Jones is the type of difference maker where he elevates Ryan Tannehill's game more, then maybe they can get to the top five in the league. But I don't even think they're going to be the best offense in the NFL. I think that's the Chiefs crown for the foreseeable future. Well, and Vance Joseph met the media here recently, and he talked a lot about Ryan Tannehill. He had Ryan Tannehill when he was a young guy in Miami. And I think Vance was coaching DBs at that point and then was also the defensive coordinator in Miami before going to the Denver Broncos, becoming the head coach for a couple of years. And he just mentioned the growth of Ryan Tannehill, how much his accuracy has improved and how much more adept. So based on that, I'm guessing the Cardinals defensive coordinator has already been looking at film of the Tennessee Titans. And I honestly wanted to follow up with a specific question about what we're talking about right here. But I said, you know, Calvisi, June 9th probably isn't the time to ask about the Titans offense specifically. Well, we're already 10 minutes we, in talking about know, it. <laughs> Why you know. not? But here's the thing. Here's, and, and the thinking is that, okay, now you won't be able to put eight players in the box. So if you don't have eight in the box, now all of a sudden Derrick Henry is averaging seven yards a carry because you only have seven in the box. And now you have to worry about Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. 
I'll give you guys a crisp $20 bill right here, right now, if you can name the offensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans. His name is Todd Downing. He was the tight ends coach. They just lost Arthur Smith, who's now the head coach of the Falcons. Before that, the offensive coordinator was Matt LaFleur, who's the head coach of the Packers, obviously. So all this talk, and they have a brand new offensive coordinator. Now I'm guessing it's the same system, and the reason they probably hired him is because he's going to stick with the same playbook. But even so, he's the play caller. And he's brand new. Now, he had a year of experience with the Raiders in 2017, and that offense was a disaster. A lot of it wasn't his fault for reasons uh, you know, that were not related to him necessarily, so he's getting a second chance. But some of the proclamations about the Titans' offense right now after they added Julio Jones are just officially off the rails. Titan deep dive by Paul Calvisi. <laughs> I, I, I do think they can be good, but I, I just, I mean, Derrick Henry had an an outlier season last year and he was phenomenal, but I always expect those guys to regress when you do that well. And even if he's very good this season, if he comes back down a little bit, even with Julio Jones coming in, you lost the OC, you lost Corey Davis, you lost John New Smith. If Derrick Henry takes a small step back, that's probably you're probably in about the same spot you were last year, which is good offense, just not historic. Derrick Henry has had a lot of touches for the last two years too. Actually, that's our segue into what the Cardinals will do for a rushing attack when this thing starts for real in September because Kyler Murray was asked about that recently. and his Asked answer, by who, Paul? It was, uh, who, who did ask? <laughs> was it you? That's good because Kyle asked a money question, and then we're going to get to the question Darren asked later where Darren took out the soup spoon and was just stirring it up, just going all TMZ a little bit here between the two of these guys and azcardinals.com. <laughs> First, we'll start with the less salacious, and that's the whole rushing angle. And the quote, what was the question? Okay, Kyle, uh, tough guy. What was the question exactly before I quote the answer? Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, he kind of took it into a little bit different lane than I was thinking, but it goes back to our conversation last week talking about the shoulder injury and how much that affected the offense. And so I asked him, how much did the statistical decline in the last seven games coincide with that shoulder injury? And he, he, you know, he kind of made that point as saying, or go ahead, you can read the exact quote of what he said. That's good. This is like a dramatic reenactment. Kyle <laughs> asking the same question he asked Kyler. I'll play Kyler as a fine diminutive American myself. <laughs> quote, honestly, the way I see it is my legs should be a luxury. And it kind of wasn't like that last year. It was me having to run for us in a sense. Once my shoulder was banged up and I wasn't trying to put myself out there and take those hits, we hit a lull. Honestly, I think it was a lesson for us. We can't be one-dimensional. We've got to be better in all aspects of the game. End quote. I think that's uh, I, I think that's very observant for the quarterback, and I know it 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 brings in the the one of the things I thought of was well, there was a couple things. One, I thought of the Kyler Murray that walked in here and talked about how he didn't really want to talk about himself as a running quarterback because he thought himself as a pocket passer first. I thought of all the people that have said, is Kyler Murray going to be able to exist in this league and not get beat up to the point where he's ineffective because he needs to run? And, and I think we're, we're already at a crossroads in a, in, a, in a certain sense because I agree with him. I think that, yes, he should be a luxury. I think we saw it more down the stretch when things were going well with the run game in 2019, that when the run game with the running backs – it was Kenyon Drake mostly at the time, but even Chase Edmonds um, was really effective. Then everything else kind of played off of that and clicked, and and Kyler was even more comfortable. And for whatever reason, the Kenyon Drake running game just never quite got there last year, and I did think it, it impacted them. They were able to overcome it for a chunk of the year because Kyler was running more and really throwing people off. But between him getting banged up and I think the fact that defense is adjusted and that can't go over uh, unseen either is it wasn't just because Kyler was a little bit uh, more gun shy to put himself out there for the hits. I think defenses started saying we'd rather mush rush a little bit more and make him throw the ball and see if he can do that consistently. And I do think he's got he's good at it, but I think he needs to get better at it. When Kyler is the run game. That's not advantage Arizona Cardinals. I mean, the results would bear that out. To me, when you can make him the third dimension of a balanced offense, passing, rushing, traditional run game with the running backs, and then he's the third dimension, that's the third rail 
for defensive coordinators. That's what keeps defensive coordinators up at night. Because what I was thinking about when he was making that answer was exactly what he hinted at heavily when he was first drafted by the Cardinals, that he's not a fan of the called runs. He doesn't really like the design runs. He doesn't like to have his number called. He likes to deduce and diagnose and then decide for himself if I'm going to run it or not. Oh, guess what? The defense has her back to me. I'm gone. Or, hey, there's a huge patch of grass over here. They're in zone coverage and all the guys. We flooded the right side and everybody went with all our receivers. You know, maybe they're in man in that case. And I'm going to run it for the sticks on third and 11 because I know I'm going to go untouched and I can get out of bounds. That's, to me, when the Arizona Cardinals offense is really firing. See, I disagree with both of you and Kyler on this topic. I think that for this offense to be as successful as possible – the design runs and his willingness to keep it on zone reads. I think that has to be an an essential part of this offense, almost like the Ravens where they make Lamar Jackson a huge part of their running game. And I think the Cardinals haven't shown when Kyler Murray isn't running at a super efficient rate and running a lot to be a successful offense. And I just think it's, it's a necessity at this point. And if he can get to eight point, one 8.2 yards per attempt passing I mean even 7.8 7.9 somewhere in the above average range then the offense can morph but until he does that I think the legs are a necessity not a luxury I think they have to run the ball in order to succeed here's the problem with that though is now you you have publicly multiple times the quarterback disagreeing with you and it doesn't matter what somebody might say if the guy who's doing the thing isn't in agreement I I find it's going to be very hard for that to succeed and um, I think that's why it comes down to me that he's going to have to produce those above average passing numbers like you were saying to be able to to dial it back but I mean I I I I understand where you're coming from and I think in a perfect world I would I would agree with you I and I think if they were able to do that uh, but but if, if Kyler is sitting there saying I should be a luxury, then that's his mindset, and I don't know if you're going to get that changed. But, but are the design runs effective if you don't have a traditional run game? For example, when Lamar Jackson was at his best, his MVP season, he had Mark Ingram running for 1,200 yards. Once again, he was that third element of the offense because if memory serves that MVP season, he also had 36 touchdown passes, Lamar Jackson. So you had all three facets at his disposal, and that's yeah. what made him lethal. No, I mean, they definitely need to run the ball better with their running backs, and that bogging down last year late hurt them because teams weren't respecting the zone read. I mean, they just let the let they let Kyler Murray hand the ball off and said, we're going to keep a linebacker on you or that defensive end, and we're not going to crash. So you need that part of it. I just think you need Kyler Murray. I don't think you can have Kyler Murray's legs being a luxury. That's how I feel at this point with where the offense is. I think – I think he's such a weapon on the ground. Like he's so rare in that ability that you have to use it. I mean, he he's a good quarterback throwing the ball, but he's absolutely elite running it. And I think you have to lean on it. Hey, our marketing mantra has come for the arms, stay for the legs. That's true. But once again, if his legs are the only legs in the running game, then your running game doesn't have legs. If that makes sense. Because no, I'm, not, I'm not saying don't run the ball regularly. I think you got to be able to run the ball with Chase Edmonds and James Conner too, but I don't think Kyler Murray running four to five times a game is the right recipe. I think it's eight to 12. I still say we're going to see him under center. If we're talking about Lamar Jackson and what, the, what Greg Roman is hinting, the Ravens offensive coordinator, what does Kyler Murray under center do? with a James Conner who can now run downhill can now put some play action into the repertoire of, of Cliff Kingsbury I just think you're going to see a little more of it and and it is going to be beneficial and I think that's the influence Sean Kugler is going to have and I think it's one of the reasons they added a Rodney Hudson and a Brian Winters and a James Conner uh, I'm not predicting some sort of power run game circa 1982 but I'm just saying I think we will see more of that and that as uh as, as 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 much as it might not make sense, it's actually going to open up the offense a little bit more, because on the surface level it might appear to be more conservative, but it'll serve to keep it a little more balanced overall. And the week one matchup that we've been talking about with the Titans is a great example. Like Ryan Tannehill's numbers are great, but how much does that have to do with Derrick Henry dominating play action works so much better? The 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 rushers are kind of waiting back on play action, wondering if Derrick Henry is getting the ball. I mean. 
a strong running game is going to help every facet a facet of the offense. So I definitely agree. Like if you can pound the ball straight ahead and, and get five yards, any way you can get five yards like they were at the end of 2019 and the first half of 2020, that's how you get the offense rolling. By the way, Kyler was asked where he hopes to improve. I think that was the first question. And it was interesting how he answered it. Uh, and I do quote, leadership, taking care of the ball, being better as far as accuracy the whole game. And then he mentioned how there's no one in the building who's more critical of his own game than himself, but he feels like uh, he does have room to grow in those areas. But the ball security, the accuracy, and then the leadership. So there's all that. And then there was a question that Darren Urban asked towards the very end. Yes. Um, do we do? Should we do the dramatic reenactment again here, here Darren? <laughs> because uh, once again, I don't know if because it was uh, you know er, early June or, or what is it exactly uh, around here? But yeah, there was a, there was the sensational that came out of this, and actually well, uh, you went national. That <laughs> that day was the day that Sports Illustrated came out with um, its cover of Kyler Murray with the Phase Clan and. Um, the, which is a gaming group and he's a part of them and you know he's obviously a big gamer and he and that's important to him and and it feels to me like the baseball thing is in the past so I just said I thought this was going to be a nice softball talking about his gaming so I'm like you know I know in the past you talked about being a two-sport athlete with football and baseball baseball is not there anymore do you still consider yourself a two-sport athlete uh, with football and esports, you know, is is that the direction you're thinking? And he said, "I still hold on to the three sport title." And he sort of smiled and looked at you, and he said, "If the time came where I got to do what I wanted to do, which I don't know, but I'm leaving it open, I think I can still play for sure. But we'll add the gaming onto that. Don't shortchange me, please." If I ever had the opportunity, for sure, I would definitely go for it. What are we talking about? And at this point, he's talking about baseball. I'm sure anyone asking me about it would take that opportunity as well. I'm not trying to start anything. Mm. I'm just talking. End quote, Kyler, when it comes to the three-sport athlete, football, gaming, and baseball. Again. Yeah. Um, he has not worn a ace hat to the latest Suns games he has attended, however. No. Um, and look. He's an unbelievable athlete, and I still remember after he was drafted in the first in-person interview that I did with him, where he can small talk before the cameras rolled, and I made a comment about there's a lot of great golf in Arizona. You got two teammates who know all the great golf spots, and he kind of cut me off. He said, "No, I don't play golf." I said, "Really?" He said, no, "My dad never let me play golf. It would mess with my baseball swing." So he's got a lot of time. He's got a lot of time, a lot of effort, <laughs> a lot of expertise invested in the game of baseball. Mm -hmm. But is it realistic to think? that you're going to have any success at baseball when you haven't swung a bat at a 95-mile-an-hour slider in a couple of years, three years, whatever it would be, it would almost certainly mean a trip to single-A ball Modesto. You would be on a bust of Bakersfield and Visalia in the California League. Is that realistic? Does he love baseball that much? Yeah, he's a very toolsy prospect, and if he started at 20 or 21 years old and made his way through the minors – it, it may have came, come together and he could have been a starting center fielder in the major leagues, but I agree with you. It's it's not super realistic at this point because his age is advancing, because he still wants to play football, obviously, so it's not even a full-time job, and there's a lot of hurdles. That being said, I mean, he looks at Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson and Brian Jordan, and it's like he could be remembered forever if he played two sports at the highest level, so you understand why that's always kind of in the back of his mind, but I agree with you. Like, There's not really a feasible way for him to get that done, especially if you're a baseball team. Do the A's want to invest in that and, and have him be in the minors half the time and maybe make it as a fourth outfielder in like four years? Is that really worth it to them? So I don't, I'm not sure if there's a real avenue for him. And, and with all due respect to those other guys, and obviously they're all superstar players, uh, well, Brian Jordan quit football. Uh, because he realized he couldn't really do both. And both Jackson and Deion Sanders, you're talking about a cornerback and a running back, two positions where in a lot of ways you can drop them in the lineup, especially back when Bo was playing and even when Deion was playing where you know passing games were a little less complicated and you just said you go get that guy or you just carry this ball. Uh, Bo was even splitting time with Marcus Allen. And 
you can't do that. If you're a quarterback, there's just no way. There's no way. And yep. I appreciate I do agree with Kyler when he says if somebody would have the opportunity to play two sports, they'd take that opportunity. I agree with him, and I understand where he's coming from, but I also agree with Kyle. It's just, it's just not feasible. Uh, nobody from the Cardinals would – I mean, I don't know if they're going to say this publicly, but there's no way – that they'd want that to happen, and he knows that. I mean, there's a reason his contract is set up the way it is. Well, yeah, he's. I was going to say he's not technically able to do it right now. They yeah. put that language in his contract. I talked to Steve Kime about that a couple of years ago, and he said we we put that in his contract. He cannot play baseball under this rookie deal. Could he play in Fitz's charity softball game? I'd settle for that. I want to see Kyler swing the bat in the charity softball who's game. Who's Fitz again? I don't that, remember that, who's that, Fitz. You know, that we all got deprived of because of the pandemic now two years in a row. Haven't been able to have the uh, – you know, I want to see him launch softballs into the stratosphere with that swing. That's what I want to see. Or do the batting practice yeah. at D-backs like some of the other Cardinals. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and he'd look a little better than David Johnson did back <laughs> yeah. in the day. We'll just leave it at that. You he can, didn't. You know, it's funny. You can YouTube up that video. Patrick Peterson was pretty good. He's, David Johnson David talked. Was not. A, he talked a great game, and <laughs> yeah. then he got in the cage. And Kyle, that's where it ended. A lot of pop outs to second base. <laughs> when when Kyler Murray was drafted, uh, the Diamondbacks had him out to um, the game, and he threw the first pitch. I think he did. He did. But, yeah. But. He really lobbed it. There was some talk about Come on, him. unleash it. There was some talk about him, you know, perhaps getting in the batting cage, and he realized that it would be a media circus if he took batting practice. <laughs> yeah. so I, I don't know if that's happening anytime yeah. soon. But honestly, when he mentions that, it's in good fun, and he's smiling. And to me, it's sort of a But kid. he means it. You it, know he means it. And does he mean it, A, because he's hyper-competitive and he has a whole lifetime invested in baseball, but also, B... Because of the contract, the upcoming contract negotiations, isn't it always easy leverage? Whether it's feasible or realistic, it is a factor. It is a possible avenue. And so when his contract does come up, you can't tell me that there hasn't been a discussion with his agent. And the agent hasn't told him, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing if you drop the fact that you have another option out there. That Does he like, have another option? The, the other option that we were just talking about? The, about talking going about, to the single A? and that, That's what I'm saying. It may not be all that realistic, but, you know, it doesn't prevent him from throwing it out there, keeping it in the arsenal. He's been kind of randomly bringing up baseball since his rookie season so I think it's just like he just talks about I don't think it's a huge leverage play and I think his leverage is going to be if he plays well in year three he's going to be up in the stratosphere of salaries in the NFL so you know obviously any chip you can play helps but I agree with Darren like I don't think if you're looking at the Cardinals and saying hey you're going to blink because I'm going to go play baseball I don't think they're going to be very scared by that it's more about I'll play out my contract, and then, you know, you're gonna have to franchise me and do that sort of dance that Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott did. I think that's more of the the leverage than baseball. And, and let's make this very clear: Kyler Murray quit baseball to come play football. He quit baseball. He was already in baseball, so we already know. I'm not saying he doesn't love baseball or wouldn't want to play baseball, but we already know which sport he favors, even if it's by yep. millimeters, yep. because he quit one to go do the other one. And whether it was OTAs or minicamp, you saw Kyler spending a lot of time with DeAndre Hopkins in the stretching line and the warm-ups and those guys. And then D-Hop was the other one who had a couple of comments that uh, are worth reviewing here at Cardinals <laughs> Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And these were sort of sarcastic, not sarcastic. You know what I mean? <laughs> sort of like Darren's sorry, not sorry with some of his comments in the mailbag where he it puts. Was, you know, it was definitely sarcastic, you know, right? I mean, Isn't uh, this like the definition of sarcasm right here? I, I mean, when, when he's saying uh, about Julio Jones and him getting second round picks in return and in their respective trades, and then his response is, quote, I would like to see a first round pick that can do what Julio and myself can do. Okay, and although he did give Justin Jefferson props for uh, what he did last year. And then later he came back to it and DeAndre Hopkins saying, uh, and with a wry smile on his face, shoot, Julio, I knew I knew I was only coming off a first-team All-Pro, <laughs> so I kind of figured I might only go for a second-rounder, but I was surprised a guy like Julio would only go for a second-rounder. 
end quote. So once again, they had big. I love D Hop. <laughs> they, they they had big salary figures attached course, to their name, of course, and, and just that alone, having to take on the contract and that obligation and the burden, brought the price down, the asking price down, from a first to a second rounder. And I think they both understand that. Yeah, to but be, they have fun with it. To be fair to D Hop, his that, was surprising. Yeah, like the D Hop one. They should have gotten up. a first round pick, yes. knowing that the David Johnson salary went to Houston, <laughs> yep. but. No, yeah, I mean your point is is well taken. There's a salary Especially for Julio. There's a salary involved. There's an injury history. There is an age question. There there's a lot of reasons why Julio didn't go for a first round pick. Honestly, if you were to get Steve Kime in the trust tree, and we'll never have this, would he have done a deal without DeAndre Hopkins? That same deal without DeAndre Hopkins, <laughs> right. just to salary dump that contract to David Johnson, take the same trade, <laughs> delete. DeAndre Hopkins from it. <laughs> Would Steve Kime have still done that deal just to get rid of David Johnson's get ten DeAndre plus Hopkins million dollars? For free? <laughs> I, honestly, that's how lopsided the deal was. It no. was grand theft, all pro receiver. That's how I mean, you're not trading a second round pick for that for that much salary for that salary relief, no, I, but but yeah, it was a lopsided you get my trade. Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> you know. Anyway, um, I'm not trying to rip any scabs look, off all you Texans look, fans who listen to us. To me, anything that serves as motivation. When you're DeAndre Hopkins and you've set records and you've been a first-team All-Pro three times in your career and you're a Pro Bowler seven times over, anything, whether it's real or perceived, that serves as fuel, as motivation, that gets you out there just giving maybe a little more of a catalyst or impetus to prove yourself on a down-by-down basis isn't a bad thing to me. It just isn't. So if he wants to use this as the crawl under his helmet that's going to you know just spark him to more record-setting performances, great. Continue to ha- – if I'm Mark Dalton, Senior VP of Media Relations around here in communications, I keep giving him everything. I print it out off the Internet. I hand it to DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> I leave it in his locker. Here, here's one of the things I, I love about D-Hop because he's – he. I think he's always been like this as far as I can tell. Um, it's straight out of the Larry Fitzgerald uh, handbook, um, which always kind of cracks me up. And, and let me make this very clear. I do not think they're – lying or or d- saying things out of turn here but he sits there and he says DeAndre Hopkins um I don't think about my numbers I don't care about my numbers all I want to do is win which is something that Larry would always say which we all know with especially with Larry he absolutely cared about his numbers and DeAndre Hopkins absolutely cares about his numbers now you can uh, reconcile this by saying both and both of them probably did in their heads of course, helping my team win, you're best served by getting us the ball lots of times, and that's going to make us win. And that's not incorrect either, but it is kind of funny. I mean, if if they went out and won a Super Bowl and DeAndre Hopkins had you know, 50 catches for 890 yards and three touchdowns, I think he would be thrilled, but there would be a part of them that would be a little bit disappointed. So yeah. that always kind of cracks me up. And there's no real question about DeAndre Hopkins this year. The question is, what will he get around him? Yeah. And Kyle, you brought this up, and we did a recent edition of Debate This, which should be up at azcardinals.com and or the Cardinals YouTube page. And and the question was about, okay, uh, which guy is going to have a throwback season? Which one of the new additions is going to have a throwback season? And my selection was A.J. Green. And, and I just said, look, you know, when it – came to yards after catch if your name wasn't deandre hopkins last year your first name was jack and your last name was squad that's just the way it was yeah. the cardinals didn't get a lot of production in that department so if you can get him some catchable passes unlike he had from the three quarterbacks last year in cincinnati you get aj green off the turf onto the real deal it's amazing how many of the former Bengals say that both the practice facility and the game turf were just horrendous for guys in their 30s and and all the above, and now he's actually motivated, and he has to. He's in a prove it deal and a prove it atmosphere with a brand new team, and he wants to prove himself to his his teammates. I mean, everything is there organically for AJ Green to have a real comeback season. The question is, okay, uh, you know, will it will it come to be? Yeah, I mean, the you look at the sixteen game numbers last year, and they're they're very small for the type of production he got, and that's a w- little bit worrisome. And being thirty three, it's not like he's 
30 or 31, and he has the injuries, so I'm more of a wait-to-see-what-he-looks-like-in-camp type guy. I'm not ready to kind of push that narrative. I I think right now Christian Kirk is more likely to be second on the team in receiving yards, more so than A.J. Green. We'll see how it shakes out. I mean, A.J. Green has a phenomenal historical look I mean in the NFL he's been one of the best receivers in the last 20 years so he's got that pedigree but at this age with this injury history with what he produced last year I'm just not ready to be on the comeback player of the year hype train quite yet I I I think Christian Kirk is the guy I'm watching where he's going into his fourth season he's in the slot where I think he can be productive and and maybe he's the one that's going to break out and, and be that number two option alongside DeAndre Hopkins. See, that's Paul. That's where Nate Burleson agrees with you. And right. we wheel back to Nate yeah. Burleson talking yeah. about how he thinks A.J. Yeah. Green is going to have a really so, big year. refresh my memory on that. That was his pick. For- yeah, the, I'm trying to remember who the other ones were um, uh, of, of guys that maybe are a little bit under the radar but that are going to have just giant years or really blow up people away with the years they have. And I don't know what that means for A.J. Green. Like, I mean, to me, I, with all due respect to A.J. Green, if he somehow gets 1,000 yards, even in a 17-game season, that would blow me away. That would be, that would be a heck of a, of a prove-it signing right there, uh, especially with what he's been through. Well, the comp that's been thrown out there, maybe even here on Cardinals Underground, is Larry Fitzgerald at age 33, 34. 35. He had 107, 109, 109 catches, if memory serves. Had unbelievably productive seasons, some of the best numbers of his career right in that early to mid-30s range. And so the question becomes, all right, A.J. Green, an elite talent, is he someone who can replicate that? Well, I, the, here's why he's not going to replicate it, because Larry, at, the, at that point, was still the most targeted player receiver on the team and AJ Green's not going to get that with DeAndre Hopkins here I mean DeAndre Hopkins you know all those 100 catch seasons that Larry was doing and setting team records well DeAndre Hopkins broke that in one year with his 115 catches so DeAndre Hopkins is going to get targeted the most and and again I I agree with Kyle in terms of I'm curious to see where Christian Kirk who by the way in an indirect way because he obviously didn't sign a one-year deal but he's going into his contract year too so he's in a prove-it situation you know, all these guys, there's there's a lot on the line in terms of getting them the ball and, and seeing what they can do. And, you know, Chase Edmonds. I mean, that's that's where it's really going to be interesting is, you know, we talked last week about where Chandler Jones is with his contract. And there's so many guys that have a lot on the line to produce this year because they are going to be going into free agency as of right now. Uh, in 2022 I think AJ Green's height on the outside is interesting though where if if teams do decide to double DeAndre Hopkins and AJ Green has one-on-one can you just throw him the ball yes while being covered and he can catch that ball 50-50 ball coming Butler having having an outlet like that could drastically help Kyler Murray if they can if they can do it and that's what I'm interested to see because if if you can get that type of thing on the outside that wasn't available with Christian Kirk, who's 5'11", yeah. six foot. You you haven't had that guy, and DeAndre Hopkins does it, and we've seen Kyler Murray yep. one-on-one. I'm throwing yep. you that ball, catch it. And if yep. you can do that on both sides, that's, that's a big deal for the offense. Once again, everybody now, if I said over the last 15 years, give me the three best receivers at contested catches, Larry Fitzgerald, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, honestly. Yeah. And Julio Jones doesn't fit in there. No, they're up there. I mean, sure, Odell, but no. I mean, in terms of contested catches in traffic, I mean Odell's elite. But an AJ Green back when he was getting double and triple teamed as the only option with the Bengals and still coming down with that ball every bit of six foot four. Yeah, it's gonna be intriguing, and I think we're gonna get a real sense in training camp. You think, ah, oh, come on, a guy who's going to at his age in training camp, he's just going to be ready for September 12th. No, that's not the word. A.J. Green supposedly practices really hard. What he's, he is to the practice field, Robert Alford is to the practice field. You see that segue, gentlemen? Because our next it. topic was Robert Alford. You're the hell of a driver right so there. So that, that was a segue right there. But honestly, when we look out at the defense the last two years before Robert Alford has gone down with a season-ending injury, in camp, was he not? The guy you couldn't take your eyes off of on defense. He was loud. He was physical. He was always saying something to someone, stirring it up. 
sort of like Darren with a baseball question here recently, <laughs> stirring up something. You know, just uh, you know, middle initials. Uh, Kyle's middle initial is D for disagree. Darren's recently has been TMZ. That's his. Uh, and and so now, if you get an AJ AJ Green against Robert Alford, I'm calling it right here. Yeah, good point. There's going to be some fireworks. I think it was camp. Robert Alford versus Demir Bird oh, a couple yeah. years ago, and unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. they were practicing so hard that yeah. Robert Alford ran into Demir yeah. or Demir Bird ran into Alford Alford's leg and broke it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you better get point. ready to separate those two and get in there quick. Honestly, if but you, some of but the you want guys that practice hard. I mean, injuries are going to happen. But I think the guys that have that type of competitive spirit, I think that's who you want, even though there is an injury risk. I think just especially guys that are at that point in their careers, like DeAndre Hopkins doesn't need to practice. He's going to be an all-pro no matter how much he's doing stuff in training camp. But these second-tier guys, I think, need to prove themselves and be at – the tip-top spot that they can be in order to make that above-average type impact that you want from Alford and A.J. Green. What were your takeaways after listening to Robert Alford? He spent almost 10 minutes with the media. Um, between what Buda Baker said about him, between what Byron Murphy said about him, in terms of him going and, and locking stuff up, I think was the quote from Buda Baker. Uh, it sounds like he's been competitive based on the way teammates are talking about him and the way he talked about himself, sounds like there aren't any restrictions on him and he's ready to go. I mean, I I never had any concerns that Robert Alford was going to want to fight to resuscitate his career, essentially. And and he even said, "I, I never gave any thought to retiring. He told me, I talked to him a few minutes other than the Zoom call. And, uh, you know, he was like, look, I got people I got to take care of. I never thought about retiring. There were some dark times in terms of rehab two years in a row, but I never once thought about walking away. And I, I don't think he's like super angry that people are, are in this place, but I mean, he took a pay cut. He knows yep. that if he wants to keep playing, this is probably his last shot uh, because of everything he's been through. So I, I don't doubt any of that. The question is, is whatever he is, 32, 33 or going to be 33, um, you know, can you still do it on the field? I mean, there there are lots of guys who don't want to walk away from the game that still burn to play. They just yep. athletically, they just can't keep up anymore. I know I don't know if that's Robert Alford or not, but we're not going to know that until training camp and games. And we're not talking about him coming back from some grotesque knee injury, a Tyron Matthew knee injury. I mean, it was a torn pec and then a fractured lower leg bone or ankle bone or whatever it was. I mean, the, if I'm Robert Alford, uh, I can understand where you're like, I'm not going to let that end my career. Right, yeah. Th- those two injuries have nothing to do with playing cornerback. Yeah, I think you can chalk those up to the freak injuries. and But, I mean, you've seen guys that just kind of get the random injuries a lot throughout their whole career. But Tyron's a good example. Like, he was super injury prone for like three or four years there in the middle of his career. And since he left Arizona, he's been very healthy. So I don't know if I really – buy into this injury prone thing if it especially if it's like you said a broken leg and a peck and if you have an ACL and and then then you slow down because of that or your body has to compensate and that becomes more injury prone I could see that part of it but I agree with you where he he's fully healthy and he doesn't have any of those in his background like Achilles ACLs type thing so maybe he will bounce back it's just because he's been injured so often and because of his age, I think you have to hedge your bets, and clearly they did with Darquez Denard and with Vance Joseph talking about Byron Murphy so highly, saying that you know basically he's our top cornerback, and does that mean that they have designs of playing him on the outside when they're not in nickel? I mean, maybe he's in that group of playing outside cornerback in base defense. I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but that's an option too, and then it would be Malcolm Butler and Robert Alford fighting for the other outside corner spot, which would be another wrinkle in camp. Can I say this? That when it comes to having hard-nosed cornerbacks, the Cardinals are going to lead the league. Between Robert Alford, Malcolm Butler, and Byron Murphy, who will hit you? Yeah, Byron Murphy has no fear. I mean, at least the... I know the primary job description is to cover receivers. Okay, I get that. The okay. cornerback run defense yeah, is going right. way up. <laughs> and ideally your corners aren't doing a lot of tackling, but uh, guess what? It, it is an important part of the game, 
and and Tom. you and you have to bring some run force, and those guys aren't going to hesitate. And you got Buddha at safety. Sure, Jalen Thompson yeah. will stick his nose in the fan too. I we, mean, I I do say that I agree with you that they they're, they're going to be willing to be physical. Now again, the game is sixty five to seventy percent passing, and you better find a way right. to to cover guys. But but Malcolm Butler with over a hundred tackles as a corner. Now, was that because he was letting guys catch the ball and then he tackled them immediately, as, as some of the snarky you know, haters out on, online were saying? I don't know. I didn't watch all his games last year. I can't tell you what the film says. But the stats say, I'll tell you what Rob Moore said. We were doing interviews as part of this whole documentary series, former Cardinals receiver and the Titans receivers coach, Rob Moore, and I brought up Malcolm Butler, and he immediately said, and I quote, oh, he's going to bring it every day, Rob Moore, about Malcolm Butler. Like, He's going to fight you every down. So that's the kind of – if the Cardinals wanted to get more physical in the offseason, which Steve Kime has said repeatedly, guess what? Malcolm Butler and Robert Alford, if those end up being your starting corners, well, you can check that box. And, and people got frustrated with Patrick Peterson when he was here because he wasn't that type of physical cornerback. And for the vast majority of his career, he was so sticky in coverage that you could overlook it and it doesn't matter. But – when you start trending toward being more average like he was the last two seasons, then that can be a negative associated with you when you're not really helping out against the run. And when a guy's breaking away, you're not always giving it 100% effort to track him down or tackle. And it sure seems like, like you said, Butler and Byron Murphy and Alford will be willing to do that. And maybe that does matter because we've seen what broken tackles can do, especially in the modern day NFL when there's a lot of throw the ball quickly to a receiver and see what he can do in space. If you can tackle, that's that's a big deal, and, and maybe that will be a change in the secondary. If you look at the transcript of Vance Joseph's press conference here recently, and I think the first question off the top had to do with, all right, where does this defense need to be better in 2021? The first thing he said, I'm looking at it right here, quote, improve tackling. That was the first thing he said, improve tackling and then make more plays on the ball. Okay, And I think like the improved tackling to me a lot of times was just a talent deficiency, especially two years ago. And then last year, like I remember the Carolina game and you can say improved tackling, but that's when they were down to like their fourth and fifth string safeties. And those guys just aren't as talented. Like you can be in the spot, but if you had Curtis Riley out there, he's not going to make the same play as Buda Baker. So I think some of it is just bringing the talent level up on the defense, which I think they've done. But also, if you if you can do your fundamentals and do your technique and stop guys from getting away from you, it's a big deal. I did not think we were going to get a Curtis Riley mention today. <laughs> um, and, and by the way, when it comes to the whole tackling thing, the fact that they selected Zayvon Collins, number 16 overall, and gave him the job immediately, I'm just putting two and two together, and I'm guessing they weren't all that happy with the tackling of their middle linebacker last year and that's why they gave him permission to seek a trade and they're looking to upgrade at that position and why they're willing to deal with the learning curve that a rookie will present at the Mike linebacker spot I mean I don't know I mean nobody said that it's but it's possible I mean I think it's clear that they were trying to move in that direction with Isaiah Simmons last year it doesn't surprise me uh, necessarily that they got another inside linebacker. I mean, Jordan Hicks has been in the league for a number of years too, so at some point you're going to have to kind of move on, and if you feel like this guy is a special player. And the more they've talked about it, again, we talk about – everybody talks about the NFL being a copycat league. And, you know, if, if you're on a team and you're Steve Kime and you watch the 49ers, again, we've mentioned this before, but you've seen the 49ers with uh, Bowman and Patrick Willis, and even now – with uh, um, and Vance Joseph Warner was, and was on that, yeah, and, and Vance Joseph was on right. that staff with the Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis. Right. So and 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 now they've got Greenlaw and and Warner, and and that's a very nice duo. And you know, for the number of years Seattle dominated with KJ Wright and Wagner, and it's like I, I can understand where that would be attractive if if you see defense in a certain way. Now you you got to do some other things. We talked about the cornerbacks. You're going to have to cover the receivers out wide, and you're going to have to get a pass rush and. And figure that out, and you know, get Dennis Gardeck back healthy, and get Chandler Jones happy in playing, and and you know, hopefully get Marcus Golden in the mix and all that, and hopefully JJ Watt provides you an inside presence. But 
Um, I understood why they, they would go to those rookies in the middle. And I like that Vance Joseph also said, look, they're going to make mistakes. So I'm, I'm bracing myself already for the number of fans going, this is crazy. You should have played Jordan Hicks the whole time. And because Zayvon Collins just gave up that touchdown. Well, just repeat to yourself, everybody now, players first, scheme second. That was the quote from Vance Joseph. Players first, scheme second. This game is about making plays. And the Cardinals have made the decision that they're going to go with the athleticism and the talent at inside linebacker. And notice how he didn't task Saban Collins with anything more than just calling the defense and getting ready to play your position. He said, leave everything else to the J.J. Watts in the Buda Bakers. Don't worry about any other, having to bring any other extra energy for anybody else or providing any of that leadership. He said, just worry about making the call and then making your plays and your reads. And so that's what's on his plate. And at least some of the um, information that's been offered by his teammates seems encouraging. Like when Abuda Baker says that Saban Collins knows football and has the football IQ, which he said with the media, and offered that up on his own. At least it gives you hope that, okay, he's getting traction initially. What that's going to mean in the regular season, we have no idea. But at least he's not lost, and they haven't already given the green dot to somebody else because that has happened in the past. Yeah, and I mean, they, I think they anointed him the starter so early that they're definitely going to ride it until it's like glaringly obvious that he can't do it. So I don't know if there's a backup plan right now. And I think the, the Seahawks are an example of a defense that was super simple, that was effective when they had the Legion of Boom and, like Darren mentioned, Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright at linebacker. And they just said, we have so much talent that you can know what we're doing and we're still going to do it better than what your offense does. And I think that's kind of the goal with those two guys in the middle is Isaiah Simmons is such an athletic freak. And what they think Zayvon Collins can be is similar, where they're very high on Zayvon Collins. We haven't seen it at the NFL level like we have with Isaiah Simmons but they hope that those two guys can just play so well and be so athletic that it works out. And there are downsides, like Dayon Buchanan and Hassan Reddick were supposed to be this nice inside linebacker pairing, which did not work, and, and that defense had a lot of trouble in 2018 because the inside linebacker group was not good. So I'm, I'm very interested to see what it looks like because you've got Sean McVay and you've got Kyle Shanahan in your division, and those guys are looking at two young inside linebackers and saying, how can we manipulate these two players, show them things that they're not expecting? We've seen that little route 100 times from Kyle Shanahan. It keeps burning the Cardinals, and you know he's thinking of things to do against these guys who are superior athletes, but can they get there mentally in time in a season that's so important for the Cardinals? Way to, way to bring us down, yeah. Kyle. Yeah, forget the 49ers. I'm sick of the Patrick Willis, Navarro, Bowman thing. Let's go with um, Carlos Dansby and Daryl Washington that one oh, year, 2013. Sure. Let's Washington. go with that. Let's do that. Yeah. That's, uh, cause, you that's know, what we want to do, bring up lots yeah. of Daryl Washington. Because yeah. Darren needs a D-wash reminder out there for more mailbag submissions. You know, so uh, They were great that year, the two of them. <laughs> they I were. Say that. They yeah. were very dynamic, were they not? The difference is Carlos Dansby had a lot of experience under his belt, yeah. and he was able to no to saying. make a lot of changes and calls and sort of direct the young D-Wash, and it's you don't man. have that right now. Yeah, and like obviously I'm a big analytics guy, so I believe in taking edge rushers and, and cornerbacks early in the draft, and that's where I would always kind of look at first. But I can't deny that a good inside linebacker duo can really help your defense. Like you said, with D-Wash and Carlos Dansby, that was a big deal. I, I don't think inside linebackers are as valuable as cornerbacks and edge rushers. But if you find two that are elite, it's obviously going to help you quite a bit. Once again, the Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And when you looked at their defense, all eyes went to the inside linebackers, Devin Smith and Levante David. I defy you to watch the Buccaneers in the postseason, which is all I really saw at Tampa last year. But how could you? I mean, the essence of that defense was Devin White and Levante David. What is it not? Yeah. Come on now. I mean, I, I For think everything that's that Shaq fair. Barrett did and all that, I mean, it was those two backers who went sideline to sideline and just wreaked havoc all over the field. So Tom Brady was pretty good. We'll too. see. It wasn't Just bad. saying. Yeah, I know. But, hey, inside linebackers, as a cliche goes, are only as good as a defensive lineman in front of them. Right. And there's my next segue into Vance Joseph talking about maybe a surprise name you didn't expect along that defensive front because Chandler Jones, J.J. Watt, 
The two young guys out of the draft in the fourth round a year ago, Rashard Lawrence, who definitely looks good, I thought, as far as a minicamp can go. Always beware when yours truly is talking about linemen in a minicamp, when they're in shorts and no shoulder pads. Okay, not many real conclusions you can draw. But there are certain guys who maybe you think, okay, all right, uh, we got our eyes on him when training camp begins. And one of those guys would definitely be Zach Allen, to me at least. Every time, and maybe it's because the D lineman always ended up in front of the media. And we had a front row seat, That's fair. whereas the offense was a good 60 yards away. And I was like, no, I didn't bring my binoculars. Okay, so it was easy to see the D linemen because they're in front of us. But, man, Zach Allen, he was as adept and as quick and as ferocious hitting those bags as anyone. Yeah, I, I mean, you're right. He definitely – you watch him in drills, and he does stand out. He's got quickness that a lot of the other guys don't have. And – it would be nice if it if it translate because his first two years he's had a couple of good moments, but he hasn't solidified himself as that clear cut third starter in the base defense. I think Rashard Lawrence is trying to push to get in that mix, and we'll see how Lucky Fotu comes along. But yeah, I, you know they're high on Lawrence, and they've said good things about Zach Allen. So I think both of those guys, it's an important year. You know, you've got J.J. Watt and Jordan Phillips leading that group, and you can play them and try to push it and play them. 80-85% of the time if the guys behind them aren't doing that well. If they are, you can bring that down and say, hey, we're going to rest you veterans, especially on the the downs where maybe they're running the ball and you guys can just get out there and pass rush. That's valuable to a defensive line if you can have those guys. So, yeah, I mean, if, if Zach Allen and Richard Lawrence can take that nice little jump, it would definitely help that group. There was a great moment where Zach Allen really excelled on one of the drills and he stood out like okay he just aced that thing better than anybody else had just completed that little obstacle course or whatever Brenson Buckner has going there and and Jordan Phillips you could tell like guys are getting to know each other pretty well when they start busting chops and 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 Jordan Phillips said he said hey Zach he said forget 99 didn't exactly use that f word forget forget 99 leading all the drills you should be leading the drills after Zach Allen completed his circuit and so they're busting you know because J.J. Watson won with all the cameras on him and everything else. And, okay, he's leading the drills. And so, uh, anyway, it's, you could tell already there's a little bit of camaraderie between some of the defensive linemen. They're busting on each other, which is, you know, good to see. I think I think Zach Allen's got a, a great uh, chance here playing behind or working with J.J. Watt. And he's talked about how much he admires J.J. Watt. But let's face it, Zach Allen's also getting to that point where you're going to need to see something yep. significant, and yep. this is that year. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping he turns it. I do like Zach a lot as a person, and um, I do think he's motivated and he's got that work ethic. But, again, I feel the same way about Andy Isabella. Like, I've seen him out there, and the guy works his butt off. It's just a question of whether it's actually going to happen. Yeah. So on the defensive line, is there's still room for Corey Peters. What do you think? Is there – we're expecting a tight end. Yes, they just addressed corner with Darquez Denard. I don't know if there's any other positions where you guys have on the radar for a time time sign. But to me, I think Corey Peters is out there. A is he healthy coming off the knee injury? B is he willing to settle for something pretty darn close to the veterans minimum? Do you think there's room for him? You heard Vance Joseph talking about Rashard Lawrence really being on the nose. And Lecky Fotu can play up and down all along the defensive line, including nose tackle at 330-plus. I'd love to get a real weight reading, by the way, on Lecky Fotu. That's just me. <laughs> and, and so that's really where Corey Peters is best suited, although he can play the three technique as well. I, I'm just curious, you know, because I think we're all fond of Corey Peters and, and just the guy he is and the guy who was voted captain last year. But I don't know if there's really room for him right now. Yeah, and they signed Xavier Williams, who plays yep. nose tackle too. I, I think it would probably be a situation where you go into camp and you put the pads on, and if our nose is getting blown up consistently and they're running the ball right up the middle with James Conner, and, and hey, you're going against Rodney Hudson, so maybe you will find that out. Yeah. Um, but maybe then you, you make a call and try to figure it out. And, you know, like Domita Pecco came in last year and did a pretty good job. Like, nose tackles aren't expensive. They're pretty easy to find. It's a position like running back where there is more supply than demand usually. So I think it's 
it's not a, a need or an issue by any means. I think you can find nose tackles pretty easily, and it'll become evident in camp where Rashard Lawrence and Fotu and Xavier Williams and maybe even Jordan Phillips at times, if those guys can do it, you probably stick with the younger guys who have more upside. And if not, almost like the Lyle Sandline years where, hey, we're not going to bring you in in the offseason, but hey, when we get to camp, if it's not working out, come on back and we'll plug you right into that starting spot. Yeah, I kind of feel like, it's going to be one of those wait and see kind of things only if they need it. And we'll see if Corey might have another chance. You talk about the money and maybe he wants to wait to see what team might need somebody. Yep. And it yep. puts up his price. I'm curious, Paul, what you were mentioning, is there room for Corey Peters? Is there more room in that room for Corey Peters or is there more room for Larry Fitzgerald in the wider receiver? Oh, could Larry be pulling the same scenario Kyle just described with a Corey Peters? Could Larry and a Lyle Senline? Is Larry waiting to maybe the first week of camp? And they go, yeah, you know what? Um, guess what? Maybe we're not quite as deep as we thought here at receiver, and this offense could use number 11 after all. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you know what you have in Christian Kirk. And I, I was looking up Christian Kirk's stats the other day, and – for as much as we said he didn't live up to what he what we thought he was going to be, and he didn't. He didn't have the year that anybody thought. He was 55th in the NFL among receivers in receiving yards. So it's like that's borderline low end number two receiver if you've got you know 60 yeah, right. receivers. So like, but, but he disappeared over the second that's, half of that's the, the season. Problem. The problem is there was is a, the oh, no, no, there, no. there was a six game stretch. You don't you don't where dial he had it like down a hundred and fifty yards total receiving. What happened? Where did he go? So so if he had a slow start and a hot finish, you'd be a lot more excited about no. him. No, that's what I'm for, saying. I'm that's small sample cons- size. Oh, I'm talking about the consistency though. I think you just have to look at it in aggregate what he did during the season. And he had big games and had some down games, but so does everybody. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins had big games and down down games. I, I think – I'm not saying Christian Kirk is great, but at this point in his career, if he's a high-end number three playing the slot, and then you've got Rondale Moore who you want yeah, to get on the field, who you need to get on the field – where, who does Larry Fitzgerald take playing time from? Oh, okay. Well, I forgot that that's what the topic was. We slipped there a little. <laughs> By the way, before I forget, J.J. Watt hasn't caught a pass since 2014, I think. So you guys are going to be wrong oh, about he that. looked it up. But in 2014, he had three touchdown yeah. receptions, so did he? And he's due. <laughs> he's due. <laughs> that's right. Look, we are talking yeah. about inconsistency as yeah. receivers. Now, maybe – By the <laughs> way. Is there room in the receiver room for J.J. Watt? We, we need to pull – that sound clip of Kyle, who's normally very convicted. He's a very dogmatic individual. And for when I asked about the Larry Fitzgerald, you know, the quote was, uh, uh, you know, so that was trying to formulate to get, my thought. That was the antithesis of conviction, right? Right there. <laughs> is, is, what is wrong with you, Kyle Sebastian oh, Odegaard? Oh my gosh. So, what is Larry waiting for? Once again, we posed the question of the offseason why the wait? What? As Suns, he, right? Is that what is is that what it is? Did I see where if they actually make it to Game Seven of the NBA Finals, it takes us into July? July twenty second, which is 22nd? like right on the doorstep of of oh, training camp, I would gosh. believe. So it's like if he's really waiting for the very end of the Sun season, which I'm beginning to think he would have a hard time if he's if he's going to say something, which we don't know at this point. Now I'm starting to wonder if he's going to say anything at all, which I've said before, but. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to step all over his the Suns. They have a nice break right now. He could do it, get it done with. And they I would don't even start the Western Conference Finals for another week. I would love for that to happen. He's not going to do so it. So on July 4th, we're going to have the hot dog eating contest. Shout out Joey Chestnut San Jose. And then <laughs> we're going to have the NBA Finals on July 4th as well. I need to mentally prepare for this. Wait, apparently. is that is true? That, is that, I don't know. As I'm wondering. Hey, you're I telling me saw, it's going in July 22nd. I just saw the July 22nd. I'm, I mean, are we even going to be uh, through the Conference Finals on July 4th? <laughs> I don't know. At this point, oh my god! I'm wondering okay. for the Suns if you go Game Seven, if you make it all the way to the championship, you go to July 22nd, and the N- NBA is still planning on starting its year normal. Are we gonna? Is Chris Paul gonna play like 50 games next year? So, I mean, I think we got Suns and four in Western Conference Finals, and Suns and four in the finals. So it's gonna be quick. That works for me. You know, I tweeted this out in hindsight. We should have known. Should have known the Suns were going to make a run this year. The first time in a 10, 11 years they're actually going to do something to make the postseason because. Larry decided to buy in 
<laughs> and there's nothing that Larry does where he doesn't buy low and <laughs> sell high. Yeah, he true. always buys low and sells high. So in hindsight, what's the old adage on Wall Street? Follow the money. Follow the smart money, to be exact. We should have followed the smart money on Larry Fitzgerald and known the moment he bought in, something was a-cooking. He probably facilitated the Chris Paul trade after he got <laughs> he the minority did. stake. Oh, man. That yeah, sounds true. I wonder how Larry's going to react if Chris Paul needs three years, $150 million. <laughs> How is Larry Fitzgerald going to – how's that taste, Larry, when Chris Paul holds you over a barrel <laughs> on the next contract negotiation? <laughs> Somebody text Larry with that question. Yeah. Are, 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 you know, how are you going to – when you're on the other side of that big mahogany table and the athlete's looking you in the eye and, uh, and he's playing the leverage game, if you don't pay me, I've got LeBron down the street. <laughs> that's good stuff uh, i love that that's larry see larry needs his own production company like lebron and just make that a reality show larry the owner the nba owner and in the cameras follow him behind the scenes oh yeah because larry would love to be followed yeah. with a camera yeah okay that's nick's that you're right that was idiotic we're talking about larry i forgot that he might have a production yeah, company you know, we don't even know you know, we have no idea got a travel company why isn't Larry, uh, you think he does all these golf podcasts? Could we somehow tell him Cardinals Underground is about golf? Could we, do you think he'd buy that? Because he's, he does these other golf podcasts. Tell him to come on and talk sons. What's Larry's middle name? <laughs> That's a great question. What is it? For everything everyone thinks they know about Larry Fitzgerald, what is his middle name? Okay, somebody well, I, say something. Okay, like I'm going to guess, I'm up. guesstimating. I don't know why, but Darnell somehow sticks in my head. I, I could be totally okay. wrong. Right. But for some reason, that sticks in my head. Okay. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Okay, well, uh, Kyle, do you? I do was you... close with Sebastian. Yeah. Hmm. No, I'm not going to hazard a guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say Ronald. <laughs> I'm going to say Ronald. Uh, no, I don't want his middle school. I want his middle name. Here we <laughs> you go. You want me to Google this for you, Here Paul? Here we go. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Darnell! Yes! Oh, oh no. Yes! No! Dang it! Yes! Are you kidding me? It is Darnell. Yes. Been covering him too long. I need to drop the mic. This thing's over. The only good news is we just went full circle, gentlemen. The middle initial is D. <laughs> the middle initial is D. Paul David, D. Herb, Kyle Disagree Odegaard, and Larry Darnell Fitzgerald Jr. on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. That's your mic drop. You're right, Darren. <laughs>